This has been a very trying last few weeks. We've had several babies born to the body and more on the way. We've also had the, the uh, huge discomfort of losing a couple of our people. Funerals are very difficult. And in this time, I've asked the Lord to show me what do we need to hear today. So we're going to jump right into the Word. I have a two-hour message we're going to try to get done here very quickly. <laughs> Open your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. We're going to walk through Nehemiah. One of the things I love to do is to unpack the Word. And that's what we're going to do today is unpack the Word. Our message today is on repairing spiritual walls. Repairing spiritual walls. I think to the great staff here at Valley Church while you're opening your Bibles. He mentioned the Wednesday night Bible studies. You, you are missing it if you're not here for a Wednesday night Bible study. And I so appreciate the singing today and the pre-service about fire because we're going to talk a lot about fire today. In the last message uh, several months ago when I was up here, I brought a message called Prepare, Prepare, Prepare. I don't know if any of you remember that, but it was prepare for what's coming. And here we are about six months later, and guess what? A lot of it has arrived. The thing that the Lord is calling us to do today is to reject pagan philosophies and walk in kingdom knowledge and grace. If you don't want to take anything else away today, reject pagan philosophies. Walk in kingdom presence now. Amen? Amen. I don't think we have to get into talking much about uh, what the media is doing in our world today. But one thing is for sure that the Holy Spirit has been dealing with me for the last two weeks very strongly is we've got to get back to getting paganism out of our lives. And that sounds pretty strong, but it is. When we go back and look at the, the story of Nehemiah, we understand that uh, the lessons from Nehemiah will help us to understand kingdom today, kingdom orientation today. So I want to take a moment and thank all of the church members here at Valley Church who participate in public forum and public leadership. Let me say that again. I appreciate everyone who's a Christian who participates in the public forum and gives us leadership in the public forum. I don't know about you, but I feel like we need more Christians speaking up in the public forum. We need more Christians in leadership in the public forum. We need more people standing for righteousness in the public forum. And right now, I want us to make sure that we continue to pray for all of the teachers in our public and private schools. We need to be very careful to remember that we have a lot of Christians in public schools right now that are needing us to pray for them, to support them in their stand for righteousness. Amen? We need to be especially aware that today is a day to fight the good fight of faith. 
There's natural walls of protection. And then there's spiritual walls of protection. And today what we're concentrating on is repairing the spiritual walls of protection over our families. That's okay to say amen. So I'm so excited about the, the fire that was introduced today because uh, we don't need to go to these scriptures. But I just want to mention a few scriptures that talk about the fire. In Zechariah 2.5 2, 2, 5, it says, We need the fire of the Holy Spirit. Then I myself will be a protective wall of fire around Jerusalem, says the Lord, and I will be the glory inside the city. Throughout the Old Testament, the, the fire is associated with the Lord's presence. Uh, the Lord speaks to Moses through what? The burning bush, the fire. God appears as a consuming fire on the Mount, of Mount Sinai, a consuming fire. Uh, the Lord's presence materializes as a pillar of fire as they guide the Israelites through the desert. In the New Testament, in the Hebrew, in, in the Hebrew it says, God is a consuming fire. For those of you taking notes, that's Hebrews 12, 29. And I love this. His angelic messengers, <clears throat> his angelic messengers are a flame of fire. Praise God for the angels that are among us today. Praise God. Tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost. There were tongues of fire. So today, we're going to be looking into the story of Nehemiah, how that the Lord used him to teach us a lesson about repairing the walls in our lives. So go with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. A little history perspective here before we start through the chapters. Uh, king David lived about 1000 B.C. After him came King Solomon. After Solomon, the nations of Israel began to fall apart. And by 724 B.C., Assyria had captured the ten northern tribes. They're called the ten lost tribes. And then years later, the two tribes that were left in, in uh, the Jerusalem area were taken by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. So there was a downfall of the Israelis because they had engaged in practicing some of the pagan things that were, they were surrounded by. And that's another reason why we're talking about get rid of the pagan in our lives today. So when we look at Jerusalem, there was finally a king that came along, King Cyrus, that you hear a lot about today in, in modern day prophecy. And Cyrus overthrew and uh, became the Persian king and allowed some of the Israeli captives to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. So by 515, the temple was rebuilt. But now we go into the story of Nehemiah. Uh, Ezra, who was one of the prophets that had already gone back to Jerusalem, tried to rebuild the walls, but uh, there were those who brought false accusations and lies against him, and Cyrus did not allow it. So now we come up to 444 B.C. Everybody with me? 444 B.C. I don't know if there's any significance to 444, but it sounds good. In 444 B.C., we enter into Nehemiah chapter 1. It came to pass in the month of Cheslev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, otherwise known as Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah 
And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, you know, gone back, who had survived the captivity in concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Verse 4. Now here's a young man. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Nehemiah. Here's a young man who was born in captivity, had never been back to Israel, and yet his family somehow had instituted into his life the concepts, the precepts, the principalities, the morality, everything about the faith of Judaism. So even though he was serving the king, he had a background because his family taught him. Everyone said amen to that. So verse 4 says, So it was when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Theologians tell us that he fasted and prayed for four months. Four months. Now, let me paint a little picture more about Nehemiah. He was born in captivity. He had been raised in, in uh, captivity. And evidently, at some point in time, because he was a slave, actually a, a, a slave to the king, at some point in time, he was selected to be the king's cupbearer. Now, most of you probably have never heard of a cupbearer, but a cupbearer was someone who had to be very close to the king. And for some reason, Nehemiah was selected. But remember that he was also in the presence of the king and queen, and in those days, if you were a slave, the men were neutered. So here he was without a family, and yet he was, had the tremendous responsibility to be the cupbearer for the king. Now, I want to tell you a little bit more about a cupbearer. In some historical writings, a cupbearer was likened to uh, someone who was in charge of the king's house. Uh, I think there's a certain name for that. Somebody who takes care of somebody's house. What is that called? The butler? Okay, the butler. Uh, whenever I think of butler, I think of uh, uh, Mr. Carson. Oh, I caught you. I caught you. Okay. Some, some of you have probably seen that television series where Mr. Carson is a very distinguished butler who knew everything that was going on in the family. Well, a cupbearer was probably all not only a butler, but also a cupbearer. When you think about it, a cupbearer was to be a wine taster for the king. Now, what a responsibility. The king is in charge of everything. What happens if he drinks poison? You're in serious trouble in the nation. So seriously, a cupbearer, to me, is probably the most important person in the nation outside the king himself because he is there to protect the king. Wow. So when, as we read through this story, keep that in mind, that kind of responsibility. So he mourned many days. Let's skip down to verse 7. Because after he, re he goes into repentance, he prays this beautiful prayer about repentance of Israel and what Israel has done. And then he goes into verse 7. He says, We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. 
in order to get back into the graces of God, he knew that the repentance was the first step. Amen? Verse 10. So we're skipping through this. He says, O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer. Let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, this man being King Artaxerxes. And then he says almost, almost nonchalantly, almost as an aside, for I was the king's cupbearer. Wow. So Nehemiah, the cupbearer, had this tremendous responsibility. He understood his position, or he would not be in that position very long. He was obviously trusted by the king. I mean, think about it. The pressure of drinking poison. The king's life was in the hands of the cupbearer. What a responsibility. And because he was constantly with the king, he knew everything that was going on inside the palace. Just like Mr. Carson. You know, just everything he knew. He understood his position. He also knew the daily threat of circumstances. Now, to me, he had to hear in the presence of the king everything that was going on in the kingdom and all of the areas outside of Susa that were under control of the king. In other words, to me, he had national security clearance. I know what that is. At one point in my life, I was in, engaged in government and was in Washington, D.C., and, and uh, I was told that I had to get national security clearance in order to be engaged in the project I was engaged in. That is no small feat. If you've ever been asked to be in, in national security clearance, the FBI wants to know everything about you. I mean, everything about you. And the questionnaire that, that you go through is just unbelievable. I went back to my high school reunion a few weeks later after going through that process, and five of my high school friends came up to me and said, are you in trouble with the government? <laughs> what did you do? Why, the FBI knocked on my door, and they asked all about you. They wanted to know if you played in the sandbox in kindergarten. <laughs> I mean, it was just, they leave no stone unturned. Now, let's jump into Nehemiah chapter 2. In Nehemiah chapter 2, we start to get the image of what he went through at this point in his life. Again, what is the year? Ah, oh, you're listening. Let's go into chapter 2. It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 12th year of the king Artaxerxes, that would be about November, November, December time in 444, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. So he's in the presence of the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. What does that tell you about a cupbearer? What does it tell you about anybody who was a servant in the king? You had to be? You had to be Mr. Rogers. I mean, some of you can't relate to that, but you had to be very kind. You had to be resourceful. And you had to say, I, don't you love my neighbor? Or something like that. You had to be very kind and loving before the king. And then it, it says, now I've never been sad in his presence before. Verse 2, therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad since you're not sick? 
This is nothing but sorrow of heart. Now, if I'm the king and I see my cupbearer and he's got a sad expression, I'm going, what did you drink? Do I have a problem? But King Artaxerxes was wise enough to know that there must be some sickness in his heart. Now, a lot of people wonder who was King Artaxerxes. King Artaxerxes was removed. Uh, his, his grandfather was King Xerxes, and you all remember King Xerxes because he married a Jewish maiden by the name of Esther. Esther. So this is after the story of Esther. Uh, why is your face sad since you're not sick? There's nothing but sorrow of heart. So, boom, he is in tremendous pressure because he realizes, oh, I've been caught. And remember, the king had the power to say, off with his head. You had to be very careful around the king. So, I became dreadfully afraid. That's what it says. And said to the king, oh, this is quick thinking, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Boy, he is taking a chance. I mean, here, King Artaxerxes at that time, most historians will tell you that he was probably the most powerful man in the world. Wow. Oh. Verse 4. Then the king said to me, what do you request? Kind of reminds you of his grandmother, doesn't it? When Esther went before the king and he, she had everybody pray. So I prayed to God of heaven. Boy, that was a quick prayer. You ever been in a situation where you have just seconds to reply? And you go, oh, Jesus, help me. <laughs> so I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Boy, talk about guts. Or internal belief that God will take care of the situation. So, And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. That is a tremendous request. Now, they had already rebuilt the temple under King Cyrus, but now they needed to rebuild the walls. So the king said what he requested. Verse 6, then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, and that's why we know he was probably a eunuch because no one was ever allowed around the queen unless you were a eunuch and the servant. How long will your journey be and when will you return? Now remember that he had been praying for four months. And I really believe in that four months of prayer and fasting, the Lord had given him direction as to how to do this. So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Now, we don't know what the time was, but we do know that he eventually was in Jerusalem for 12 years. And then verse 7, talk about wisdom. 
and understanding that I really believe that God gave him. Furthermore, I said to the king, are you ready for this? Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah, because there was all these enemies between there and there, and then they needed a king's letter. And I lettered Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. Why? That he must give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the citadel which pertains to the temple for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. In other words, king, I want to build my own house when I get to Jerusalem. Now, do you think he had some, some pull with the king? Whew. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Now, I want you to notice that. According to the good hand of my God upon me. Say that with me, would you? according to the good hand of my God upon me. Because he had repented, he knew that the hand of God was upon him to do this impossible task. And right away, if he were here today, they'd say, well, what kind of training have you had? I mean, all, the, all that you've ever done is carry a bottle of wine around and serve the king. But God had prepared him to be a leader to do what God had called him to do. So say to yourself, when God calls me, he gives me what I need. When God calls me, he gives me what I need. Whew. Verse, uh, let's go on to verse 9. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now, notice what else the king had done. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Now if you're the most powerful man in the world and you have all kinds of armies all over the known world and you're sending your servant back to Judah, to Jerusalem, and you say, okay, uh, where's the host? Where's the, where's the host? Oh, by the way, I want you to send 100 men with this guy. Now we don't know how much that was. But usually when a king would send somebody to protect someone, it was usually anywhere from 20 to 100 men on horses. So can you imagine going through that area of the world from Turkey back today, you know, several hundred miles away to get back to, to Jerusalem, that wherever he went, I think it was like the three Magi that came to find Jesus that has caused a stir in Jerusalem. So there was a stir because here's this guy coming with the king's army all the way from Susa. Wow. Now, verse 10. Now, the enemies. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard that they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Okay, who were these men? Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem that we're going to hear about pretty soon. These were people that controlled the country around Jerusalem. These were people that God originally told the Israelites to destroy when you go in to take the country. These are the people that, that were not destroyed, and they were pagans, and they had pagan influence upon the children of Israel, and that's one reason why the children of Israel fail. Now, let's read on. Let's go to verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days, 
And then I arose in the night, and a few men with me, and I told no one that my God had put in my heart what to do in Jerusalem. So there was probably some kind of a stir that he arrived in Jerusalem. What is this guy doing here? Why is he here? What's he going to do? So he had to sneak out at night, and he did a tour around the city to see how badly the walls were destroyed and what needed to be repaired. Verse 16, And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the officers who did the work. Now verse 17, here it comes. Now we know that he, God has put this man in a position to have great influence in Judah. Verse 17, then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in? Notice how he said we. He didn't say, hi, uh, <clears throat> I'm Nehemiah and uh, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. <laughs> That's never a good idea. He said, we are in how Jerusalem lies waste and gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me. There it is again. The hand of God was good upon him. And also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. Now remember that he's convincing the Jews we need to rise and build and he said two things. The hand of God is upon me. And oh, by the way, the most powerful man in the world is behind me too. He's got his priorities right. You like that, Brother Dave? God first. Okay. So they said, well, <laughs> I'm in. Let us, up, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. Now, the bad guys. Verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? They didn't evidently realize he had all kinds of letters from the king. So I answered them. Now, this is the world coming against you. These are the pagans coming against you. And this is what he answered. So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. He didn't, he didn't say Ahasuerus, or he didn't say anything about uh, the king uh, coming after them. He didn't say that. He said, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but you pagans have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Say amen. amen. You pagans have no right. You have no audience. You have no justice. You have no authority in the kingdom of God. Now, there's one more important thing here that we need to realize. Go to Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 28. Here is the emphasis for us today that we need to gain from this study. There in, in Nehemiah chapter 3, it goes through all of the various peoples who live in Jerusalem, inside and outside the city, who were all in to rebuild the walls. Okay? But I want you to notice, especially verses 28 and 30, what happens here. <clears throat> Beyond the horse gate, the priest made repairs, 
each in front of his own house. Say, in front of his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, made repairs in front of his own house. There it is again. After him, Shimei, the son of Shenachniah, the keeper of the east gate, made repairs. And after him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zelph, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, made repairs in front of his dwelling. So once again, say, in front of my house. In front of my house. In front of my house, I have to make repairs. And we're talking about spiritual repairs. So, once again, let's review a little bit about Nehemiah. Nehemiah, once again, was trusted so much that he was sent to be the governor of Jerusalem. His way was paid. By the way, you know the Lord has stored up the, the money of the evil for the righteous. He had king's letters. He had the king's army. And we need to continue to pray for the Nehemiahs today, our Christian brothers and sisters that are in positions of leadership. Let's pray right now for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you right now for every brother and sister who is in the kingdom of God, who has given themselves to the work and the ministry of leading us in our cities, in our counties, in our nation, and in the world. Lord, with all that's going on in our state right now, with, with all the national attention, Lord, we ask for angels to be sent, angels of mercy to be sent, to minister to those that are in leadership. And we pray for those that are in leadership that they will stand for righteousness, that they'll be modern-day Nehemiahs, that they will be glorified and magnified in your name before the pagans of the world. Let it be, let it be, let it be, in Jesus' name. Amen. In chapter 4, there's all kinds of things here that happen because we're running short of time this morning. Uh, there's probably some things that we probably won't have time to read. But I do encourage you to go home and study the book of Nehemiah, especially the first four chapters, and especially chapter 4. Because in chapter 4, you see the mocking that comes against Nehemiah and the believers in Judah. Let's, um, let's jump to verse 7. So they're rebuilding the wall. This is 4-7, Nehemiah 4-7. They're rebuilding the wall. They're having great success. They had joined hands together, and they were believing together that this could be accomplished. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and Ammonites, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites, well, that's a lot of Ammonites, isn't it? Heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored, and that the gaps were beginning to be closed, they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Now that's exactly what the enemy of the pagan world is trying to do against the Christians today. And that's create confusion. Verse 9, Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them we set a watch against them day and night. Verse 10, this is a little disturbing. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build a wall. Now what does that mean? Some of the Jews that had already gone back there did not believe, they did not have enough faith that Nehemiah could get it done. So sometimes even our Christian brothers and sisters 
might not have the same faith or the same direction that we do. And we have to be very careful that we don't let our brothers and sisters discourage us from the call of God to come against the pagans of the world. Wow. And then verse 11. Here we go again. The enemies threatened harm. And our adversaries said they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. That's what the enemies want to do. The pagans want to kill you. I, no, don't say good. <laughs> the pagans want to kill you. So what is this response? Wow. Verse 13. Therefore I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their... According to their... So it's very important that our families repair the wall. We just read that each one in front of their home. Their families repair the wall. With their swords, with their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, do not be what? Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome. And fight for your brethren. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your houses. Praise God. Last time we spoke on preparation, I said, man the battle stations. Today what the Lord is saying, get ready. Do it. Now's the time. Now's the time to step up. Verse 19. This is so important. Protect one another. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Whenever we hear something being brought against the body of Christ from the pagan world, what is our job? To rally together. To rally together. To support the brothers and sisters that are being under attack. Verse 21. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. The same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them for washing. In other words, they were so intense in the job that they were on duty 24 hours a day. Did you know that your spirit... When you are asleep, your spirit is still active. Did you know that when you pray, the blessings of the Lord upon you and your family, when you go to bed, the blessings of the Lord are going to be dealing with your spirit. And your spirit, man, is going to be uplifted, upbuilt. And that's one reason why before you go to bed, don't listen to the pagan world. Listen to God's world. Listen to the kingdom message. Praise God. So here's some of the key points and the parallels to today. First of all, he had compassion. Who else do we know had great compassion? Jesus. He had great compassion. He was greatly moved by the report. He was also a man of tremendous character. He had allowed God to develop him into a man of great character. He, need, he understood the need for both physical and spiritual walls to protect the body and soul from the enemies. 
He understood unity of the body to bring everybody together. Pagan philosophy did not deter him from instituting Jewish law for the people. He knew the difference between earthly kingdom and God-oriented kingdom. He was not fearful of enemy threats. He made provision for guarding against attacks from the enemy. He encouraged each family head to rebuild the wall in front of their house. Now, quickly, because we're almost out of time, we're going to point out some things, how the enemy will attack you. My apologies, I didn't do a handout like I usually do, but uh, this will also be, I, th I think, airing on YouTube later so you can pick up some of these things if you miss them. By the way, I want to just pause for a moment. We have now on YouTube from Valley Church, Idaho, about 500 preachings. From this church. But I also want to warn you that many of the pagans are also making headroom on YouTube. So I have a suggestion for those of you that have ears to hear, let him hear. You can pay extra on YouTube so that these crazy commercials that keep popping up when you're watching something don't pop up. In our, in our VSSM class yesterday, uh, we heard people saying that, that uh, even YouTube for children is a problem because sometimes advertisements pop up that are pagan. Okay, word of the wise is sufficient. Okay, here's some things how the enemy will attack you. Number one, there will be anger of others against you, mostly because of the money. The people that came against Jeremiah were angry because it was going to upset their monetary world. Number two, the way the enemies, the pagan world comes against you is through sarcasm, making fun of you. And let me say this very carefully. Let's be sure that we don't try to use their tactics when we should be using Christian tactics. We do not want to use the language or the wording of sarcasm against our enemies. We want to share the love of Christ with our enemies. Amen? Yeah. Number three, threats and intimidation. Sanballat, Tobiah, Gisham, they all threaten physical. That will probably come at some point where Christians will be physically threatened. And that's why we need a group together to support one another in the body of Christ. I know what it is to have a family member threatened by a state. Even in our own family, when our granddaughter was in school, the school told her that she had to tell a lie. The little girl, the little boy in her class who was wanting to transgender, she said, well, he's a boy. No, you got to call him a girl. you got to call her a girl. If you don't, the state may look in to see what kind of parent you are. Okay? So threats and intimidation are coming against the body of Christ today. And we have to stand as one against 
those intimidations. There's also times of discouragement and exhaustion. You know, you get weary and well-doing, and that's where we need to support one another, pray for one another, lift one another up. Praise God. And then there's just general negativism. Remember that even some of the Jews that lived in that area were negative about what he was doing. And then finally, there's the fear, especially the fear of conflict. Man the battle stations. Don't stand in fear, especially of conflict. But let's use the spiritual, godly tools that God has given us to fight the battle of righteousness for the kingdom of God. There's no place for fear. So, how do we respond to the enemy? We respond to the enemy with love. Love your neighbor as yourself. We respond to the enemy with intelligence. In Matthew 10, 16, it says, Be wise as what? Serpents and harmless as doves. Now, that's hard to do. But you can do it with love and compassion in your heart, like Jesus said. The other thing they did, they lifted up their voices in prayer. This is a good time to pray and pray together. They put their hearts into the work. They were motivated. They were excited. I pray today that everyone in this house will be motivated and excited about standing for righteousness. Amen. And standing on the Word. And reading the Word. And teaching the Word. Three, they kept their eyes on the enemy in vigilance. And that's why there are certain people in our congregation, in our church, in our leadership that, and I so much thank the Lord for our Wednesday morning prayer meeting because they are vigilant. They stand in prayer. They watch what's happening. And they're vetting who are the spies and who are not the spies. And they're giving no place to pagan influence. I invite you all, if you can't, uh, if you can make it, attend Wednesday morning prayer sessions where they are fighting the good fight of faith. Number four, they kept their minds focused on the Lord. They got God's perspective on every situation. They kept God's perspective on His ordinances and His kingdom principles in their mind. You know, Paul says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Let me say that again. Set your mind on the things above, the things of heaven, not on the things that are on earth. I want to have God's perspective on every situation that I am faced with in my life. Remember, Nehemiah said in 4.14, Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Amen? Praise God. Now stand with me as we conclude. The fifth thing was unity. Unity of the body. Honoring one another. And rebuilding the walls of spiritual protection. They believed the word. They, stood, they understood the blood. They understood the name. The name of Jesus. And they understood that God would send angels among us. Praise God. Last verse. Nehemiah 13, 30, and 31. 
This is how he concludes the end of the book of Nehemiah. Let this be what we say today for ourselves. Thus, I cleanse them of everything pagan. I also assign duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service, and to the bringing of wood offering and the first fruits at appointed times. And then he says, finally, remember me, O oh my God, for good. So we're going to do something we haven't done in a long time. I want you to hold hands with your neighbor, and I want you to reach across the aisles so that we form a united front, a united church. Oh, that's, that's really something. Remember that one of the greatest leaders in the history of Israel said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So I want you to say that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve in unity. Praise God. You know, it's interesting, church, that they rebuilt the walls in 52 days. You know what 52 days from today is? Passover. <laughs> you know what that means? They put the blood on the doorpost of the house that the death angel would pass over. Church, we're believing right now as a church that in 52 days when we go into Passover, we will be totally united and there will be testimonies from you, our congregation, about how that you no longer have any pagan influence in your home. Praise God. Now, you're holding your hands with your neighbor. Now, lift your hands together. And just pray in the Spirit right now. Just pray in the Spirit. Let the Spirit minister. Let the Spirit fall. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Lord Jesus, we don't want anything in our homes that is a pagan influence. Lord Jesus, right now while we're praying in the Spirit, show us, Lord, your mercy, your grace. Show us the reality of what might be in my home that is pagan-oriented. Lord, we pray for this congregation that will be mighty and strong and it will be like a city set on a hill that as we've seen in the last several months, there will be more and more that are escaping from pagan, paganism and they're coming here looking for righteousness of the kingdom of God. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. Now give the Lord a hand clap. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Don't let the enemy tell you that you don't have the power or the blessings to get rid of paganism. When you go home today, I suggest you get on your knees with your family and say, Lord, show us what do we need to do in our lives to get rid of paganism and to live in God's righteousness. Remember what he said, God's hand is upon me.
God's hand is upon you. If our prayer team can come up, if our prayer team, if there's anything today that you feel like, Lord, I need special prayer. Lord, I need counsel. Remember, we have many pastors here that can counsel with you. We have a wonderful prayer team that's coming up. You can meet with them. Anything that is bothering you. Remember, we have Breakthrough Ministry. We have healing rooms on Monday night. There, there are Breakthrough Ministry applications in the hallway if you'd like to meet with our people that are in Breakthrough Ministry. This is my prophecy. In 52 days, at the time of Passover, the fire will fall and cleanse everything that is not of God in this sanctuary. And then in 52 days, we're going to have many testimonies from how things have changed in your home because you have rebuilt the spiritual walls in front of your house. All right. God bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you and give you peace and the fire of the Holy Ghost in your home. God bless you.